We're combining all the best old school wisdom with all the top new school methods to bring you the optimal way to coach and play the great game of baseball. This is the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass with Coach Bo. Welcome, coaches, to the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass. Now, I say masterclass. We predominantly are focused on youth baseball and youth coaches. We do discuss advanced topics, but we are very focused on the youth baseball community, helping youth coaches, because that is where 99% of baseball coaching happens. Believe it or not, 99% of coaches are youth coaches. Millions of kids play youth baseball, but a very few amount of people and players, kids, usually young adults, play college or professional. So there are a lot more coaches, a lot more coaches at the youth level than even if you combine high school, college, and professional all together. There are way more youth coaches and that's what we're here for. But I do call it the masterclass because there's no reason that youth coaches cannot master the art of coaching. And with the 80-20 principle in mind as we do this podcast, there's no reason that you as coaches, us as coaches, can't master the things, the biggest needle movers while also sprinkling some of those finer details in there as we go along. There is no reason that we can't be master coaches, even at the youth level. And we've talked about that over the previous 82 episodes. And here we are in episode 83. Speaking of 82, if you haven't already listened to episode 82, go back, listen to episode 82, last week's episode. We got into some stuff there. We got into part two of the end of year, end of season feedback, because in most areas of the country, youth baseball, the spring, season is coming to an end or has concluded recently. And we want to take that time. We want to use the end of the season to gather valuable feedback as coaches, not just from our players and from the parents. But last week, we talked about getting valuable feedback from the other coaches on the coaching staff and not just feedback, but an action plan, an action plan, because most coaches coach more than one season. And most of you are going to coach next year as well or in the future. And we want to get that feedback from our coaching staff. And last week, we discussed how to facilitate a healthy conversation amongst the coaches. I did discuss why I think it would be very valuable to get together in person as a coaching staff rather than sending out a survey, more of an anonymous type of survey to players and parents. I do think as a coaching staff, it wouldn't hurt to get together for dinner, for lunch, for breakfast, have some coffee and discuss how the team could have done better, what each coach can do better moving forward, etc. Go back and listen to last week's episode if you have not already. Also in last week's episode, we discussed how to motivate three specific strategies for motivating for keeping players up from keeping players from quitting if they get down early in a game or if they're down a lot of runs in a game. We discussed three specific things a coach can control that can reduce and hopefully eliminate those players on your team, maybe a few of them, maybe the whole team. Usually it's just one or two that have a tendency to quit or get down in the dumps when they're down a lot of runs early or just even a few runs. So go back and listen to 82 if you have not already here in this week's episode, episode 83. We are going to discuss a couple very important and very useful things. One is a paradigm, a mindset component that all coaches should have to check that ego so we can be the best coach we can be. We're also going to discuss some terminology used by a very 
very well-respected hitting coach at the college level and how we can use that terminology with our hitters to be very clear in what we want from them in plan A, i.e. our less than two strike hitting approach. And at the end, I'm going to recommend a book that I think can really help guide some strategies for every coach. First thing we're going to talk about the Red Sox. I know this is a youth baseball focused podcast, but hey, you want to look at how the best do things and then reverse engineer it and work backwards when we're working with youth. 90% of professional baseball coaching, 90% of what we want from professional hitters, professional pitchers, professional players, high level college players can be used and should be used with the youth game. At the youth level, there are definitely some differences and we've discussed those in the show, but but quality baseball skills are quality baseball skills. And I definitely outline the differences to be careful of, to stay away from some things, especially the amount of time you have to work with your players. The biggest thing in the 80-20 rule comes into effect so much more with youth baseball. You only have so much time. Youth baseball has a very limited time. Coaches at the youth level have a very limited time to work with their players. Sometimes they get players for just one season. A lot of times youth coaches have a team put together for one season and then the following seasons if the coach continues to coach typically looks different whereas the high school level you typically get three or four at least two years with a player and typically four years of them in your program and even before they get to the program high school coaches typically know who's coming to their program they can see them in some camps they see them in the eighth grade summer camp and things like that and not only at the high school and college level do they know the players very well they get to know them over more years than a typical youth team, they also get a lot more practice time. So the 80-20 baseball rule, the 80-20 baseball principle is so valuable for the youth level. But that does not mean we cannot learn and we should not learn from major league players and college players and high level high school players and those coaches, the Red Sox. Man, that team is looking good. Speaking of major league baseball, the Red Sox, that's a team that's a fun team to, to watch. They went on the road. They've come from behind. Speaking of teams that don't quit, the Boston Red Sox currently lead major league baseball with 23 come from behind wins. 23. They only have 42 wins at the time of this recording. 23 of them have been come from behind wins. Last week, we talked about how to get players to keep playing hard when they're losing. Well, the Red Sox might be a good team for you to watch, a good team to study because they've come from behind. More than half of their wins have been come from behind wins. 23 they're winning on the road, which is super valuable. Winning on the road, they're 22 and 10 on the road. They lead Major League Baseball with 154 two out runs, and they lead Major League Baseball with 142 two strike RBIs. So, with two strikes, they lead Major League Baseball with run production. With two outs, they lead Major League Baseball in run production. On the road, they win more than any team. And when they're behind, when they're losing a game, they are more likely to come back and win that game than any team out there. So that's a good team to watch. Watch how they're coached. Maybe study, watch closely the vibe in the dugout, read some articles on this. And I'm going to try to dig up some stuff on the Red Sox, some of the things behind the scenes, some interviews, some of the stuff that they're discussing that might give us insight into what they're doing maybe differently that we can all learn from as coaches. So about a month or so ago, I picked the Padres as my favorite at that time to win the World Series. But man, the Red Sox, they're looking good. I know the Yankees have been winning. Tampa Bay, holy smokes, Tampa 
Tampa Bay. Talk about, I'm fascinated with teams. You know, the teams I study the most are typically the teams that get the most wins per dollar when it comes to payroll. I'm fascinated. I know I talk about the Dodgers and the Padres payroll has gone up over the last couple of years because they got Machado and they signed Tatis to that big, big contract. But they've also done some good stuff, developing players, drafting players and the culture there. And I talk about the Dodgers who obviously have the highest payroll. I believe they're currently the highest payroll in the major leagues, but I'm fascinated with teams like Tampa Bay. Speaking of a good vibe, dugout, positive vibes, upbeat, having fun, but also winning. You know, I sent out a tweet today. I said, there's no reason a team cannot, there's no correlation between a team being ultra serious, ultra serious with their attitudes and winning more. There is a correlation with teams being focused and winning more, but there's also, I believe, a strong correlation between teams that have a lot of fun and also have a lot of focus and win. Not seriousness, not 100% business-like. No, they have to have fun. You have to have fun. And that goes for any job, any job, any company that is successful, focused fun. Focused fun. I've been saying this for years, years and years as a coach. I'm huge on focused fun. Focus when you need to focus. And the other day I saw the Padres when an umpire got hit. This was just yesterday, actually. The umpire got hit by a foul ball. The home plate umpire got hit by a foul ball in the mask. And he stayed in the game for another inning. And then he came out. Well, when he came out, the other umpires, one of them from the field, has to go and get the gear on to go behind home plate. So there was a break in the action. And the Padres were dancing. The Padres were dancing. They were having fun, but they were in their dugout. They were over near their dugout. They were keeping it amongst their team. It was a fun thing. They were dancing. And when play resumed, they smashed the ball around the ballpark and they didn't give up any more runs and they won the game going away eight to two. I think it was like two to one at the time, two to two or something. It was close. And then they just blew the game open. They were loose, but they're also focused, focused fun. So Tampa Bay, that's a team that's fun to watch. But look at those teams that do a lot with, you know, the Oakland A's is the biggest story of all when you're when you're studying like what Billy Bean does what how they put together a team and what stats they value you know if you read Moneyball if you haven't read Moneyball the book Moneyball you need to go watch I mean watch the movie for sure but go read that book at least the audio version in fact the book I'm going to recommend today is very similar to Moneyball but it's even more specific in how it can help coaches the Moneyball story is a great story a well-written book and the A's win more per dollar on their payroll than anybody than anybody and you know what's crazy teams like Tampa Bay and teams like the A's, the other teams in the league know they're really intelligent. They're really smart. They're very shrewd and they still do deals with them. They still make the trade with them. They still get fleeced in these deals and they know that Billy Bean and the people that are running the Tampa Bay Rays, a lot of them are, you know, protégés of Andrew Friedman, who's now with the Dodgers. And they know those guys are shrewd. They know they're really, really, really high intelligence. They value the correct things and they still, the teams around the league are still getting fleeced to this day. And it shocks me. If I was a general manager, I would not make a trade with Billy Bean. In fact, if he ever asked me for a player or if he called and said, hey, I'm interested in this player, I would make sure that player doesn't get traded unless it's for an all-star, right? But they still get away with it. So those are some teams to watch, not just the guys who spend a lot of money, the teams that spend a lot of money, but those teams. So the Red Sox looking good right now. So I try to tie in stuff that all of us can see on TV, all of us can read about online, all of us can see watching highlights on YouTube. I want to try to tie that in because we can all see it across the country, across the world, all of you that are listening, and then we can bring it into how it can help us as coaches and how it can help us with our team. So the Red Sox, I'm going to dig a little on the Red Sox. I'm interested to see because when you have a major league best two strike RBI count, a major league best run scored 
with two outs. You come from behind more than any team. You're the best team on the road when it comes to winning. Those stats intrigue me because that says a lot about the competitiveness of the team. It could just be something that they build up their team. And I know some of those players are very competitive on the roster. I'm not super familiar with all of the Red Sox, but I do know they have some very competitive players. Maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they're just going out there and they're going, hey, we're going to prioritize competitiveness at the very top when we're choosing players, those that are uber competitive. And that's something you can learn from as a coach, a youth coach. You definitely want players that are willing to compete. Okay, now, speaking of being down or being up in a game, winning or losing in a game, here's the thing. Coaches, you have to keep this paradigm. You have to keep this mindset. You have to keep this thought nearby when you're out there coaching, and that is it's not very likely you as a coach are as bad as your team's worst losses, nor is it very likely you as a coach are as good a coach as your team's top highs, as your team's top wins. So when your team is off, awesome. You're probably a good coach, but it's very likely you're not as good a coach as some of these amazing games that your team will play. But also on the flip side, you're not as bad. Almost almost always, almost always coaches are not as bad a coaches as the scoreboard would reflect. The scoreboard when your team gets crushed does not reflect your coaching ability when your team is getting smashed or down a lot. So it helps keep the ego in check to know, that you're not as good as your best games. You're not as good a coach as your team's best games, and you're not as bad a coach as your team's worst games. Now, this mindset benefits all of us coaches in two ways. One, when we're winning games or we're on a winning streak or we finish in first place, we don't rest on our laurels. We do not get complacent because we know that just because we went undefeated, we won a bunch of games or we won the championship, that doesn't mean we are a perfect coach by any means. That means we still need to get better even when our team has a lot of success and wins a lot of games. And on the flip side, we must keep in perspective that when our team does not have a great game, when our team loses a bunch, that doesn't mean you're necessarily that bad of a coach. Now, let me be very clear. If you lose more often than you win over the course of multiple seasons, over the course of multiple years, that typically says that you have a lot more growth to do as a coach. But just because your team gets crushed in a game or over the course of a couple games or you finish in fourth place, that doesn't mean you are a terrible coach. And if you finish in first place, that doesn't mean you're a perfect coach. There is always room for growth. And I don't think you should tie your ego in with your win-loss record. Check the ego. And regardless of your record, keep growing as a coach. One thing you definitely want to use the record to analyze when you have a large sample size of games, you want to use it to analyze what your process is yielding, how your process is going. Are you Now, wins and losses, those are a combination of a lot of different components and facets of your team's play. You have pitching, you have defense, you have hitting, you have base running, you got attitude, you have hustle. There are multiple, multiple components that add up to a win. So even if you win, that doesn't mean that you are coaching your team to the best of your abilities, or should I say coaching them up in the best ways over all of the facets. Now, when you're getting close Robert in a game, sometimes things just don't align. I wouldn't read too much in to a big loss or a big win. Stay even keel, look for patterns, look for trends.
trends over the course of a longer season over multiple seasons, but it's not very likely you as a coach are as bad as your team's worst losses, nor is it very likely you as a coach are as good of a coach as your team's best wins. Have fun and get better as a coach. Bottom line. Now, part two here, plan A, less than two strikes. If you have not listened to the hitting approach, plan A, plan two, plan take, go back, listen to those episodes. In my opinion, after studying baseball, now going on 35 years, more than 35 years of watching our, the first baseball game I went and kept score for at Dodgers Stadium was in 1985. So now we're going on 36 years ago. I've been watching, playing, coaching baseball since then. In fact, I was just talking to my wife about something I would do when I was in college. In college, if I just got bored sitting there listening to the professor talk, and some of you, a lot of you know what I'm talking about. There were certain subjects that were more intriguing, more interesting, and certain subjects that bored me. I thought just sitting at a desk for a long period of time listening to a lecture was not something I was super interested in. I kept my grades up so I could graduate. I kept my grades up so I could be eligible, but it wasn't something I was like chomping at the bit to just get to class. I went to class to do what I needed to do to get a degree, to stay eligible. And while in college, when those teachers would get a little long-winded or when the subject matter got boring to me, I pulled out a notebook and I started designing practice routines, batting practice routines, defensive drills. I would just start writing it out. And I have notebooks of all that where I would just start scripting out practices. That's what I did. That's where my mind went. I've been in baseball a long time. I think I'm just kind of one of those people that loves to just think about baseball and I, I enjoy it. I like the strategies. I like the schematics behind it. And the hitting approach is something that I am super, super, super high on. The plan A, the plan two, and the plan take approach. I think we boiled it down to the most simple and most productive way to go up there and look for a pitch. The hitting approach, I don't get into the timing. I don't get into the swing. It's simply the, the when you get up there, what are you looking for as a hitter? What pitch are you looking for as a hitter? Because the number one thing you have to do, like Ted Williams said so often, Ted Williams, if not the greatest hitter, one of the greatest hitters to ever play baseball said the number one thing you need to do if you want to be a good hitter, the number one thing you have to do, the most important thing to do when it comes to hitting is get a good pitch to hit, get the right pitch to hit. With two strikes, that doesn't always work because with two strikes, it's not about being selective as much as it is about putting your best possible swing on anything that's within the strike zone or just on the fringes of the strike zone. And for youth baseball, maybe even a little more than that. But Ted Williams said, you got to get a good pitch to hit. That's the number one thing when it comes to hitting. And I love the plan A approach that we talked about, the plan two approach. We've been talking about this plan take, which is pretty simple, but there is a specific reason to have a plan take. Doesn't involve a swing. So it's really easy. It's more about diagnosing the situation, the atypical situations that warrant a plan take. You're mostly going to be in plan A, then plan two. Speaking of plan A, here is a great use of words when you're coaching your players in plan A. A swing, your A plus swing. So plan A is getting a good pitch that you can drive. And I really, truly believe that almost all hitters know when the pitch is coming in, whether that's something they can really hit hard or it's something that's not in their wheelhouse. I truly believe with practice, if not just as they've grown through baseball, Ball, but definitely through repetition and practice, players can hone an approach that they can be very accurate when it comes to swinging and selecting and deciding to swing at pitches that they can drive. Now, that's going to be in an area that's much bigger than the area of a baseball, maybe a beach ball, maybe a small hula hoop. If you look at Major League Baseball's hot zones for hitters, that area may be half of the strike zone. It may be a third of the strike zone. It'll depend on the hitter, but I truly believe hitters can d develop an approach 
approach an eye to swing at pitches that they can drive. Doesn't mean they're always going to hit it right. Doesn't mean they're gonna always hit, make contact. They might miss, they might swing through it, they might foul it off, of course. But by swinging at those pitches that are in their hot zone and then putting an A-plus swing on it, I truly believe gives the hitters the best opportunity to produce the highest amount of runs possible. So coaches, I highly recommend you teach your players to swing with their A-plus swing, their A-swing. Give it their A-swing. Okay, guys, we're going to give it our A-swing, nothing less. No check swings. No, a check swing is like a D-minus swing. A half-ass swing, that's like a C-minus swing. None of that, all right? Not a kind of just put it in play. No, hitters should not be going up there and looking to get C and D swings off. Cs and Ds, hey, that may get degrees, but Cs and Ds are not going to produce very many runs when you're out on the baseball field. C and D swings, even B swings are not something we want to have. We'd rather get an A plus pitch, an A pitch, a, not a pitcher's A pitch. If it's a pitcher's A pitch, we're taking it. We're looking at a pitch that's, and we want to look, speaking of grades, we were looking for in less than two strike approach, our plan A approach. We're looking to give an A plus swing or A plus swing on a pitcher's pitch that is really a D or an F pitch, a bad, they failed. They left one in our hot zone. They didn't use the corners of the plate. They didn't work it down or whatever. It depends on the hitter, every hitter. Some hitters love the low pitch. Some hitters like hitting the high pitch better. They, it's not about what they like necessarily. It's about what they produce runs in. And this is what I love about practicing and repping this out. Hitters don't tell you where they like it. Their bat, their swing, their production tells them and you as the coach where they like the pitch. And that can be figured out through repetition during batting practice. Are they driving that pitch? Are they driving a hard line drives? Are they driving hard one hop ground balls through the infield? Are they driving pitches off the wall? Are they hitting some home runs? Are they crushing balls into the gaps? Then that's a pitch that is an A pitch for them to swing at with their A plus swing. So I was listening to a ABCA, American Baseball Coaching Association coaching talk by Brian Peters, who's the offensive coach at Long Beach State. And he's done a very successful job over there. Brian Peters uses the terminology A swing, A swing. So I'm going to take that terminology. And I think this is like using the word standards instead of rules. If you can remember back, I heard I read something somewhere about the writer university coach using the word standards versus rules. And I like that. I said, okay, maybe we swap standards in for rules. As we learn, as we grow as coaches, let's get better together. And I think this terminology when it comes to plan A, giving it an A swing, an A plus swing, because every single player knows what an A grade is. They go to school, they know what an A, a B grade is. They understand that scale. So when you're coaching, you want to use coaching points that they can relate to. Well, they all can relate to an A grade. Well, unless you're coaching like 7U, 6U, that might be a little more challenging because I know in those lower grades, they have some funky things like a VG. We used to get VGs, very goods, or Gs, good, or whatever. VG and an N, not good, or not satisfactories, or Us. You got some of those kind of random letters. But for the most part, players know what an A plus means, an A plus grade means. So in plan A, A plus swing keeps it easy. It's easy to remember. Only A plus swings in plan A. So I got that terminology listening to that video. I said, hey, there's a great way to coach it. A plus swing, plan A. And they all know with less than two strikes, your hitters should all know it less than two strikes. They're in plan A. Plan A, A plus swing. So I highly recommend using that terminology with your players. And again, everything is going to work its way into your coaching routine and system. But I do believe that there are certain ways that are better and you need to go out, test it out and see. And hey, if you come up with something way better than that or something better with any of this stuff, send it over. Email me. I'd love to hear about it. Coach Bo at 8020 baseball.com coach and then B 
B-O, like I've said before, B-O as in the American athlete version of Bo, not the French way. Coach Bo at 8020baseball.com. Last thing I want to talk about here, the book. No, really, that's what it's called, the book. It's called The Book, Playing the Percentages in Baseball. This is a fascinating read. It is a book that is about statistics. It's basically about testing through data, through back testing, through analyzing statistics to deduce, to gather information about what strategies are the best strategies when it comes to coaching and playing the game of baseball. It does look at major league level hitters and major league level teams. So there are some things that I would not necessarily say are usable exactly as is for youth baseball. For example, it discusses stealing a base. It says you got to steal a base like 78% or 80% of the time successfully for it to be worth the risk of stealing a base. So what they basically said is if you did not steal second base or you didn't steal third base and you just stayed where you were, how likely, how many runs are you going to net your team and how many runs would you cost your team if you got caught stealing. And so that's a specific example. But with youth baseball, I think you should steal a lot more often. And all of you that have coached youth baseball, you know what I'm talking about, because the legs for youth baseball are always ahead of the arms. The accuracy and the strength of the arm doesn't keep up with the speed and accuracy of the legs. First off, almost everybody can run in a straight line from the time they're like four years old, three years old, two years old. They can all run in a straight line. So they can't all throw in a straight line all the time, but they never, they don't get all funky with their run. And usually it's in a straight line. And typically kids are running when they're like two, three, four years old, but they're not throwing very well until they're five, six, seven, eight years old. So that statistic from the book, playing the percentages in baseball, would be a statistic I would not necessarily use to help me coach at the youth level or even the high school level. But there are so many things in that book that it talks about that give you a different look, a different aspect, basically based on data and stats. It's not about what we think works, what we want to work, what we were coached, old school, new school, it says, here's what works based off of production of runs over millions of data points. The book, Playing the Percentages in Baseball, will help you think differently about the game of baseball and coaching and strategies and evaluating your players' production, your team's production. Now, sure, youth baseball, it's not all going to cross over. It's not all usable. It's stuff you have to be a little careful and go, is this the same? Like, And I can break down a couple of the things, like stealing bases, that's going to look different at the youth game versus the major league game. We talked about that just a minute ago. So there's definitely some things that don't carry over and some things, strategies and statistics that would directly apply to youth baseball. But what it does is it gets you thinking differently about how to coach. It gets you open, keeps you open-minded. And if you're open-minded, you'll start to see better ways to coach. You'll start looking for better ways to coach and you're going to have more fun and looking to optimize, looking to get better as a coach, looking to get the drill better, looking to find better ways to coach, looking to get things more efficient, looking to do things better. You want to get that mindset, that operating system right. And then you as coaches can go out there and become super bright coaches with the right operating system. So instead of just waiting for the baseball community to hand you a fish so you can eat dinner, it's much better to learn how to fish. And then when you get out there, you can catch all the fish you want as you're learning. You can learn all these strategies that you want and you can optimize your coaching game that fits 
your strengths, your personality, etc. the best. So Red Sox might be a good team to watch closely because when they are coming from behind 23 times this year and out of 42 wins, they lead Major League Baseball with two out run production, two strike run production. Another stat I left off there, they've won twice as many games as they've lost by one or two runs. They've won 20 games and only lost 10 when the game was decided by one or two runs. So they're winning close games. I mean, all these stats are pretty interesting when it comes to the mindset, toughness, competitiveness of a team. This is something we might want to keep an eye on. The Red Sox. Again, I'm not a Red Sox fan. I'm a fan of better baseball, and this might be a team to watch. Also, coaches, when your team is awesome and you're winning games by 20 runs, you're probably not a plus 20 run coach. You're probably not. And if you're losing by 20 runs, you're probably not 20 runs worse at coaching than the coach in the other dugout. So you're not as good as you probably think you are when your team is winning big, and you're not as bad as you think you are when your team is losing big. All right, you're somewhere in the middle. Don't worry about it. At the end of the day, all that matters is you're getting better, you're having fun, and you keep trying to improve. It kind of reminds me of a really interesting interview I heard my ex-high school coach, Bill Pendleton. Bill Pendleton is one of the most respected track and field coaches at the high school level, and he coached track and field for like 40-something years and had state and national title winners at the high school level and shot put and discus, and he won a bunch of championships coaching high school football. He was an assistant and also a head coach, and Bill Pendleton, Coach Pendleton, Coach P as we call them, I remember an interview after a game. I was helping him coach. I coached football. I've told you guys that I coached football for about four years. I played football in high school, but I coached football for about four years early on. And I remember in an interview he was doing on Fox Sports TV, local like LA Fox Sports after a game, we had the live game of the week and we beat a rival like 40 to whatever, 35 to three. I don't know. It was, we beat him by a lot. Edison High School, which is a pretty good football program out at Huntington Beach, California. And we beat him by a lot. And I remember his interview after going, we're not 35 points better than that team. And I thought, interesting. That's a good way to look at it. He knew that everything went right for us and everything went wrong for them. He wasn't saying we were worse than them. He just simply said, and I thought it was really interesting early on in my coaching career when I heard that. He just said, hey, we're not 35 points better than that team. That mindset is something that stuck with me. And I think it's something we can all learn from. We also talked in this episode, plan A swing, A plus swing when in plan A. A players, always A plus swing in plan A. No check swings, no C minus swings, no D swings, no half swings, no 80% swings. If you get fooled, swing through it, get to the next pitch rather than hitting the weak ground ball for an out, get to the next pitch. Better to have a strike than an out. Save your swings that you're battling for, you're battling with. Save those swings for when you're in your plan two and you have to, if you get fooled, yeah, plan two, you got to battle, put it in play, but less than two strikes, A plus swing only. And I think coaching it that way helps it solidify in the player's mind, A plus swing. They all know what an A plus looks like. They know that scale. All right, coaches, we'll see you back here next week, next Tuesday. And until then, take care of yourselves, take care of your health, take care of your families, take this out there, make the baseball community a better place, go win more games, have more fun, and we'll see you back here next Tuesday. Adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.